Welcome, fellow brave believers. This is Kingdom Cast. I'm Sean Griffin, and you're watching this on maybe two channels, both on Kingdom in Context and also Kingdom Cast. This is uh, we've actually hit a thousand subscribers on our secondary channel, Kingdom Cast. So if you're watching on this, awesome! Thanks for being a part of that channel as well. And um, this software I have it actually allows me to, to stream on both channels at the same time. So I'm 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 testing this new concept tonight as well, uh, just to see how it goes. But thankfully, both the comments from both channels are funneled into my my screen that I see tonight. So I'm not missing any of your comments. And as always, guys, um, we're going to take questions at the after I go over some some basic concepts from the from the, the chapter that we're covering. So just hold your questions till then. That way I have a better chance to see them, especially now that we have two different channels trying to trying to join in and watch. Um, but I want to thank everyone for being here, guys. Uh, this is uh, the podcast where we look for uh, we strive, we search for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of his word and this world so we can better relate his word to this world. That is uh, it's kind of like my mission statement, if you will, for this podcast. And you guys get to join me in this journey and uh, we get to discuss scripture because that's what we like to keep it. We like to keep it with scripture, not a whole bunch of opinion, but we like to keep it with scripture. So tonight we've got a treat. We've got the core issue of our Messiah's message laid out for us in Matthew 13. It's also a wonderful key that unlocks the rest of the Bible, in my opinion. It's actually this chapter was why I started Kingdom in Context channel. So I've prepared, hopefully, a very succinct and uh, explanatory presentation on this chapter to kind of break it down, make it simple for you. Hopefully, you're going to walk away excited, you know, because you learned something that you didn't know, but also just that you hopefully be able to see the Bible is just so much easier than than we've been told to believe. So as always, as you're watching all this stuff, guys, tonight, if you do learn anything, please share it with others on social media. That's how we get around the suppression and the censorship. Also, we want to give a big shout out, a big thank you to everyone that's been supporting us financially, um, both through traditional mail, through also through PayPal and Patreon. Uh, links are in the description below the videos as always. But um, you guys are just really, really blessing us, uh, helping us do this type of content five nights a week like we are. So um, we're getting together with our buddy Ken Heidebrecht. We're going to be starting up Honor of Kings season three. Um, we were we were hoping to start this week, but some things came up. We we weren't able to, so uh, we pushed it back. But we're going to be starting that as well. You're going to be seeing that on Kingdom in Context. So if you're if you're watching this on Kingdom Cast, make sure you go over to Kingdom in Context and subscribe as well, because um, that's a really fun when we dig through the apocryphal books and we test them. You know, hold them up next to the American Canon of sixty six, and we try to see. Does it match up or not? Right? Is, is that apocryphal text? Is that pseudepigraphal slash deuterocanonical text? Does it does it have any merit or weight? And should we consider it as a part of scripture? And so we have an entire show dedicated to that. It's called Honor of Kings. So be sure to look out for that next week. We come back with season three. Uh, I just want to, as always, you guys are you guys are already in the chat, having a great time. I just want to you know welcome everyone that is here already. Uh, Jubion Kenobi, welcome. James Henry, welcome. Earl Rogers, AC, Yaz daughter. Cover to cover with Jeremy Pierce, The Great Deception, Sky to the Dome Watcher. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for coming back, guys. Mr. Bear is back. Jesse, Jill Craddock, Earl, um, L. Wilkins, 25. Let me see. Believe in a Scene, Lynette Moody, Callie J, Arc Builder, CCMC, The Lion Within Us. 
Oh, by the way, moderators, thanks for being here tonight. I really appreciate you. Um, as always, just try to remind folks to put their questions in all caps. That way we can see it. And if, and if you see a good question, like, you know, because maybe someone joins in five minutes and they haven't heard me remind them twice to wait to hold their questions till the end. If you do see a good question, just maybe copy paste it, hold on to it and drop it later. Um, and we'll try to get to it if you think it's a good one. Messenger of the Most High is here. Welcome, brother. Alan Smith. Angelo's back. Scott McVicker. Welcome, brother. You guys are awesome. I appreciate everybody that uh, gives us prayers and support, um, both through letters. Some of you guys have sent letters, uh, just really blessed us. Um, we just, you know, the Father's really, hopefully, you know, given us lots of encouragement from everyone that you are learning the scriptures better, that it, this is changing your walk with Christ, that you are coming to a place where you can explain this stuff better to your friends and family and overcome objections because there's a lot of lies out there we have to weed through. But within the church setting, there's a lot of just misunderstandings. There's a lot of stuff taken out of context. So here we are getting in context, trying to help people. So if we're helping you and it's blessed you, really appreciate you guys um, for, for blessing us back as many of you have. So I'm going to get right into it so we don't take too long. We've got, a, we've got some fun stuff to cover tonight. So let's go here to Matthew 13. Okay, everyone. So here in Matthew 13, 10 through 15. It says, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered and said, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But who does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing but not understand. You will keep on seeing but not perceive. For the heart of these people has become dull. With their ears, they are scarcely they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand, and with their hearts and return, and I would heal them. So I love this because he's talking about repentance. Because remember, as we've been we've leading up to this chapter uh, for the last three or four weeks and the previous twelve chapters of Matthew, he's constantly reminding these folks to turn back to the behavior of God, which is the commandments. They had been infiltrated, if I could put it like that, by a group of religious people, the Pharisees, Sadducees, that were pushing traditions onto the people, making it really hard for them to actually know and walk in the true commandments of God. So this is why John the Baptist and Jesus show up and they're telling people to repent. So that means to change your mind and your heart and your actions, to go back to doing God's ways, his behaviors, his actions, learn his heart, keep his heart in your mind. And that's that is what this central message that he's saying he's, he's talking about at the at the front part here, Matthew 13, where the people he's preaching to are the same type of people like Isaiah was preaching to in the days of Isaiah, which is why he's quoting from Isaiah, because they also were going through rebellion and were not doing the commandments of God. They were doing other things and also idolatry as well. So in Isaiah 6, 9 through 12, it says, You shall hear indeed, but you shall not understand. You shall see indeed, but you shall not perceive. For the heart of this people has become gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, be converted, and I should heal them. And as I said, how long, O Lord? He said, until cities be deserted by reason of their not being inhabited, and the houses by reason of them not being no men, and the land shall be left desolate. And after this, God shall remove the men far off, and they that are left upon the land shall be multiplied. So why is Jesus pulling from this moment here in Isaiah as his context for, for you know, acknowledging the atmosphere that he's preaching in is the same concept. He's trying to get people to 
get away from their traditions once you're making null and void the commandments and get back to doing the commandments of God because that's how you're going to ignite a heart for love for one so that you have love for your fellow man but it's also how you have clarity how you actually understand which is what he says in that passage but unfortunately they're you know they're not hearing they're not seeing they're not perceiving they're not understanding and as a result he's pulling from a context within Isaiah to parallel and say yeah this is like you know this similar generation is like Isaiah's prophecy um, this is when before the northern and southern house were about to be invaded and, and taken off because of their idolatry and they were doing the same thing not following the commandments of God and as a result of that they were you know scattered from the land and this is about to happen in Yeshua's day after he's killed and resurrected and then ascends to the father a couple decades later we have the Romans come in in AD 70 and they actually you know uh, slaughter about 500,000 Jews and then they they uh, scatter them all throughout the land of different different provinces under Roman control so this is a, a very fitting piece of context that Yeshua is pulling from in Isaiah because the people of Israel were about to experience that scattering as well in Isaiah's day equivalent to what Yeshua is talking about the scattering in his day but let's keep going oh Jubion Kenobi thank you brother yeah, brother, I appreciate you, man. You just dropped a, a super chat for us. That's awesome, brother. I really appreciate you. That's really great of you, brother. Um, yeah, man, we try to keep it in context. That's our that's our goal. We try to keep it in context. That's uh, that's to us. That's the only way that the Bible makes sense. Let's look here. Also, we have the same prophecy of Jesus's day. That remember, he pulled from Isaiah, but we have the same thing being prophesied about the people that Yeshua are describing with Isaiah's prophecy in the Testament of Levi verses 1 through 5. It says, And now I've learned from the 70 weeks you shall go astray and profane the priesthood and pollute the sacrifices. You shall make void the law and set it not the words of the prophets by evil perverseness. You shall persecute righteous men and hate the godly words of the faithful who shall you abhor. And your holy places shall be laid waste even to the ground because of him. And you shall have no place that's clean. But you shall be among the Gentiles a curse and a dispersion until he shall again visit you and in pity shall receive you so that uh, most of you guys can probably guess who the hymn is that's being spoken about here but all the way back testament of levi the days of levi land of goshen one of the sons of jacob who had taken on the priesthood he's prophesying the same thing that yeshua is actually experiencing in his day and by the way when he says i learned from the 70 weeks if you read the rest of the book of the testament of levi he's talking about the book of enoch so it's it's pretty fascinating um which means the book of Enoch prophesied exactly what Yeshua was going through when the uh, second temple is destroyed and they're scattered. All right, let's go to Matthew 13, 18 through 23. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. Now, really, let me stop real quick, guys. I'm about to get into this as the parable of the sower. This is one of the things that I covered in my very first videos that I did like two and a half years ago when we started Kingdom in Context. So this particular chapter is near and dear to my heart. I feel a great weight trying to explain this chapter because of the four categories that we're going to see being described here in these ver these six verses. Because it, I want everybody to be in the fourth category. Everyone that's watching this, that hears the sound of my voice, can see me talking. I, I just pray that the Father allows you to be in the fourth category. And I'm going to do my best to explain these things simply succinctly so that you can be in the fourth category because that means you have understanding and that this message will benefit your life and that is literally my heart for this this whole channel and it has been for two and a half years and so that's why you know i guess i just want to stress the introduction of of let's break down 
the parable of the kingdom, because it is extremely important for people to understand. In Matthew 13, 18, 18 to 23, it says, Hear then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. And you guys heard me right, by the way. I didn't call it the parable of the sower. I called it the parable of the kingdom, because that's what Jesus starts off saying in, in my highlighted passage right up here. In verse 18, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. And that's what we're going to be breaking down tonight, and specifically in this parable. The evil one comes, so people that don't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is one on whom seed was sown by the road. So this is why Yeshua is telling us in Luke 4, 43 and 44, that this was his central message. And he says, but he said to them, I must preach the gospel, the, the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the whole, this first concept here, as he's about to break down four groups of people that hear this, this message and how they react to it differently. Um, this is Yeshua's central message. When it, when it talks about him going and teaching and preaching in these synagogues, this is what he's talking about the whole time. Yes, he talks about keeping the commandments as we reviewed previously, but that's the behavior of the kingdom. He's going to talk about prophecy, the end times, when he's returning with the, with the angels to rat out the wicked. That's part of the gospel of the kingdom. He, right? So he talks about all the component pieces of the kingdom of God in all of his message. He talks about the resurrection, him being made high priest to make the resurrection possible for you. Absolutely part of the gospel of the kingdom. So he's talking about this everywhere he goes. This is what he's teaching and preaching. So it goes on here. He's saying the first group, they didn't understand it. So therefore, the evil one comes and snatches it away. They, they can't keep it. Okay? So the gospel of the kingdom can be broken down simply in three different phrase, phases. And if you don't understand it, you won't be able to make anything out of it. And the evil one will come and snatch what was sown in your heart away from you. This is akin to tossing seed on the side of the road. But that's not going to be anyone in here tonight. Everyone watching this video, you're not going to be in this first group. Let's go to the second group. The one in whom seed was sown in the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself. It's only temporary. When affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is someone that's, that gets a glimpse of the kingdom, right? He's excited. It seems good. It seems shiny. It seems cool. He loves it. He receives it with joy. But yet he has no root in himself, which means he doesn't understand it. He truly doesn't. This is why as soon as persecution arises, but why? This is because of the word. Look up here above these pictures that you can't make out yet. Because of the word. Well, that's when the persecution rises. Because of the word. Of what? The word of the kingdom. And these component pieces in the kingdom will bring persecution because the enemy tries to lie against these three component pieces of the kingdom all the time. This is like the main component pieces of their lies that they try to get you to not believe the fundamental ideas of the kingdom. So then when you hear the word of the kingdom, it doesn't make sense to you. And we're going to go over what that is here in just a minute. So if we go on to the third category, this is the, the one whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word, the word, what the word of the kingdom and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. 
So this is something that they they hear it, they try to perceive it, but they don't quite get it because there's so much else going on in their mind. They're too worried about other things. Remember Matthew 6, 33, right? Let's um, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Well, they heard the word of the kingdom, but they didn't seek it first. They had other things, deceitfulness of wealth, worries of the world, other things choked it out. It became unfruitful. They truly didn't understand it because the fourth group is the one that understands it. And that's going to be everyone listening tonight. That's just what I want to <laughs> lovingly and confidently say. It's going to everyone listening tonight. You're going to be in the fourth group, guys, because it's the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil. This is the man who hears the word that of the what? The word of the kingdom and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. This is when you actually get to realize what the kingdom is, what the message of the gospel, the kingdom of God is, the word of the kingdom. And you start to see how beautiful it is because it's good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's good news. And it's the message of Jesus Christ that changed the world, changed the world. It's the message of the prophets. And the first big component piece of that message is the promise of the covenant is granted and it's the resurrection of the saints. And it's granted when? At the return of the Messiah and the and the end of uh, the end of the age. This is the promise of the covenant is that you will live, you'll have eternal life and be able to get to the Father's house with him. Well, the next piece of that promise is you inherit the Father's house with him. You get to go live in his house again. It's the kingdom. It's the word of the kingdom. This is the message. The return of the kingdom of the Garden of Eden, which is the New Jerusalem. And actually, tomorrow night, guys, we're going to be doing, um, I'm going to be doing a, a full night tomorrow night explaining the actual, how the Garden of Eden becomes the New Jerusalem and all the scriptures that explain it to us. So I'll break it down from start to finish. But that's the big second component piece of the word of the kingdom is literally the kingdom itself. If you don't understand it's a real thing, that it's a real piece of land with real foundations and walls and rivers and mountains and trees and the Father and the Son and the angels will be inside as well, and that it is what is described to us in Scripture. It's ridiculously large, and it's coming down through what? Through his creation that he described to us with over 500 verses all throughout Scripture, that it's not a ball in space, that it's actually an enclosed, contained creation model with multiple levels, and that this huge piece of land is his house that's coming down through the roof over our heads that's called the firmament. Can you guys imagine in the in the chat? Can you guys can you guys see why in the second group people may face persecution because of the word of the kingdom? Anyone that's ever tried to have a conversation about biblical cosmology knows exactly what that's like. People say you look stupid for talking about the biblical cosmology. People say you shouldn't talk about it because it makes you a Christian look gullible and dumb. And I just you know I just want to reply to them. <laughs> Then why did my heavenly father, the creator of the universe, why did he why did he talk about it over 500 times in his word to us? Is, does he look dumb? Of course not, right? But yet, this is a huge central component piece of the kingdom of God. And of course, the enemy wants to brainwash you to think what? That the covenant's not a real thing. You're not going to get resurrection. That resurrection isn't a reality. It's not even possible. That what? What is the what is the world taught you against these two component pieces of the gospel of the kingdom? is that there's no resurrection awaiting you, that you're just a, 
you know, just basically molecules in motion, right? That you're just a, a collection of fizzing atoms and emotions inside of a, a body made of, of meat, like a, like the temple of doom, you know, your body's destined to die. And then after that, there's nothing left and that you're just floating on a rock in space that's hurling at ridiculous speeds and different ridiculous trajectories, even though you can't feel none of it. But they tell you that you're insignificant, that you're without purpose, that there is nothing for you after this, that what you do in this life truly doesn't matter, that there you were not created. Instead, you were just an accident. That's what the world tells you. So then when you try to process the beautiful promise of resurrection unto eternal life, it can fall off deaf ears, right? It can be like seed thrown against the side of the road. And also when you try to explain, oh, wait a minute, but we don't live on a ball in space according to the creator. He and his son tell us that we live specifically in a, in a certain layer that was created just for us. And they live in the layers above us with the angels. And that in the future, he's going to bring his house through those layers to our layer and lay it down on the earth. And it's going to be amazing. And that's what the other component piece is of the gospel, the kingdom of God is the father's law, which is his behavior will be enforced on the earth. That means wicked men are removed from the earth and peace will reign. You also have abundant healing ever to everyone that's sick. This is why Yeshua would tell people when they he would heal them, the gospel kingdoms come upon you. These are the three main component pieces. What is what does modern day science tell you? Oh, you can't have miraculous healing or that. Oh, you you don't you can't. They're like Yeshua in Revelation is promising us that literal leaves that grow in trees would be made for medicines for all the world. But would a pharmaceutical company agree with that today? Instead, they would want to what give you a whole bunch of synthetic manufactured drugs that just do away with the side effects while you're. While your uh, your illness actually remains, you see what I'm saying. This this whole concept, every component piece of the gospel of the kingdom, the resurrection, the literal physical kingdom to come, the literal New Jerusalem, and the Torah being being represented on earth, the Father's law being on earth, means you have to remove the wicked who don't obey it and who suppress and oppress people through through violence and war. You got to remove them so peace can reign on the earth. This is the beautiful good news of the word of the kingdom that Yeshua is trying to explain to people everywhere he goes, as well as what the prophets talk about in spades all throughout the Old Testament. So the enemy wants to come in with, with lies upon lies upon lies so that you do not understand these three central foundational pieces of the story. But I want to encourage you that these are not these are not fictional ideas that you are promised in the covenant that you'll be resurrected just like Yeshua was that, that he does have a literal house that's made of literal real things, earth and water and stone and, and brick and beautiful stuff that's going to come down that he's prepared for you to inherit Isaiah 54, 17. And that when he does that, the whole world will follow his behavior, which is called Torah. They'll follow his instructions. There'll be no more war, no more disease, no more famine, no more pestilence, no more fake engineered global crises, whether financial or health, none of that stuff. It'll be peace on earth. This is the promise of the gospel of the kingdom. But to believe that, to truly believe that so that it benefits you 130, 60 fold in your life, you have to understand the actual message, which 
it completely flies in the face of everything the world tells you since you were a child. So this is why I'm praying everyone falls into this fourth category with me tonight. Matthew 13, 24 through 30, he goes on to expound. Now that we have the component pieces at a most fundamental level of, of this message, now we're going to look at the rest of the chapter, and hopefully now you have the keys, you have the literal, you know what these words are, and you can start really plugging and playing and start to see, oh, these parables aren't that hard to understand. Um, looks like Beetlejuice, I love it. It's a great, great name. I love it. Beetlejuice dropped a super sticker. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, if I say your name one more time, you may appear, right? So we'll hold off. But either way, uh, we really appreciate you. I, I, that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. That's a blessing. All right. So let's see here. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. It says, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy's done this. The slaves said back to him, do you, want us, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he answered, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in that time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. All right. As you can see with this passage, I actually highlighted uh, these five terms because these are ones that we need to focus on. The kingdom of heaven, that's the Garden of Eden, the New Jerusalem. Okay, so what did we just read? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to, this is a comparison, this parable is a comparison. It is the Garden of Eden, which comes back as the New Jerusalem. That's the kingdom of heaven. He's comparing stuff in this story to this. What's he comparing? He's comparing the first component piece of the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is the resurrection. And I'm going to explain that here. The field, he, he, he tells you it's the world. The field is the world. He actually explains it further on down as well, too, in verse 48. The tares, those are the unrighteous, people not doing his behavior. But the wheat, those are the believers. Those are the right. Those are people doing his behavior. The barn that's the Garden of Eden, the New Jerusalem. So what we see happening is him explaining the, the, his return. And this is why he says the kingdom may be compared to, compared to the moment he's returning when the wicked are gathered to be destroyed by fire at the battle of Armageddon and destroyed by the angels, and the righteous are taken to the barn to be safely stowed away, the ultimate Passover, because the wrath of the Lamb passes over them and goes after the wicked which is the unrighteous. So this is why he says, allow both of them to grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I'll save the reapers. First gather up the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So why does he say, this is where a lot of people struggle. They'll say, why does he say first gather up the tares? Well, it's because, at, uh, and we have uh, John the Baptist is also repeating this, by the way, in Matthew 3, 12, he says, his winnow and fork is in his hand. He's talking about Yeshua. He says, he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So he doesn't say in the same order. He's just explaining it, but he does it in a little bit, just the different order. But the terrors, let's define those. Those are the unrighteous, right? Revelation 16, 13 through 16. It helps us understand what happens with the terrors. 
I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. They are the spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about, walk about naked and will not, and men will not see his shame. By the way, this is an allusion to keeping the commandments, guys. We see this actually in Exodus 30, 32 um, and a couple of other places where if you're, if you're naked means you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And if you're clothed, um, you're doing what you're supposed to do and you will get clothing at the uh, resurrection. You're robed in white, robe of righteousness in white. He's in, in verse 16 says, and they gathered them together to the place, which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So this is the tares. What do you say about them in the parable to bind them up, gather the tares up first, gather the tares to bind them up, but burn them. Well, this is what's going on before the great day of the Lord, before Yeshua returns to the firmament. He's gathering the Kings of the earth and all their armies to go to Armageddon to fight the return of Christ. This is why the tares are gathered first in Yeshua Matthew in Matthew 13 statement. We also see this in second Ezra 13 5 and also 11 it says and after this I beheld and lo there was a great there, there was gathered together a multitude of men out of number from the four winds of the heaven to subdue the man that came out of the sea and they were all mixed together the, the blast of fire the flaming breath and the great tempest fell with violence upon the multitude which was prepared to fight and burned them up every one so that upon a sudden of an innumerable multitude nothing was to be perceived but only dust and the smell of smoke when I saw this I was afraid so that's that's the tares being gathered to be burned so we go on and we see this um we're going to explain the wheat as well oh thank you scott scott's not from here um as he tells us but thank you brother super sticker you're awesome i really appreciate that hopefully this is blessing you tonight and uh in fact guys i, I a lot of folks ask for these these slides especially like tonight where i'm not just going over scripture but i'm making kind of like detailed um images to try to explain stuff i'm going to go ahead and upload these on patreon as well if you want to download them for yourselves um that way you can have access to them if you want but thank you scott or scott's not from here thank you brother so the wheat this is this is of course the righteous these are the believers and it tells us what happens to them they're taken to that barn as we see this is this is them being taken to the barn isaiah 26 19 through 21 says your dead will live their corpses will rise this is the resurrection this is the first component piece of the of the uh, gospel of the kingdom. It says, You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to departed spirits. Come, my people, enter into your rooms. Close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord's about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. We also see this about the wheat being explained to us in ezekiel 37 12 to 14 says therefore prophesy and say to them this is the lord god behold i will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves my people and i will bring you into the land of israel and then you will know that i'm the lord when i've opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves my people i will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and i'll place you on your own land then you will know that i the lord have spoken and done it declares the lord we also see this in second ezra's chapter 10 Excuse me, 2 Ezra chapter 2, verse 10, and also 35 through 40. Thus says the Lord unto Ezra, Tell my people that I will give them the kingdom of Jerusalem, which I would have given unto Israel. Be ready to the reward of the kingdom, for the everlasting light shall shine upon you forevermore. Flee the shadow of this world. Receive the fullness of your glory. I testify my Savior openly. O oh, receive the gift that is given you, and be glad. 
giving thanks unto him that has led you to the heavenly kingdom. Arise up and stand. Behold, the number of those that be sealed in the feast of the Lord, which are departed from the shadow of the world, have received glorious garments of the Lord. That's the resurrection, guys. Take your number of Zion, that's the new Jerusalem. This is the heavenly kingdom. And shut up those of yours that are clothed in white, which have fulfilled the law of the Lord. Guys, this is the wheat being taken to the barn, like Yeshua tells us in Matthew 13, verse 30. And also John the Baptist tells us in Matthew 3, 12. This is the wheat being taken to the barn while the men, the armies of the earth have already gathered at Armageddon to try to fight Yeshua at his return. But we see both of these being described in Revelation 14, and they're broken down separately. Are you guys ready? This is, this is the speaking about the wheat. This is verses 14 through 16 in chapter 14. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud sitting on the cloud was like the, like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. And he said, Put your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, guys, notice the difference here. He's the, he's the angel with the, that swinging his sickle is sitting on the cloud to reap the wheat. Because why? Because the resurrected saints go up. The wheat goes up into the barn through the air to the New Jerusalem. Isaiah 26, 20, like we just read, to hide because the wrath of the Lamb is coming down and is going to shake the earth like a sieve and reel it to and fro like a drunkard. This is what Isaiah 24 and a whole bunch of other places tell us. He's coming down to, to do the indignation of the Lord, do wrath. This is the wrath of the Lamb. This is what passes over us at the resurrection because we're the wheat being taken away from the earth into the New Jerusalem before the New Jerusalem starts to descend because that's where we hide. The tares are explained with a different angel who has a different description. Verses 17 through 19. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also had a sharp sickle. And then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar. And he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So that's a little bit different description, right? The tares obviously are going to get burned up. We know... Um, It'd be a great slaughter on the day of the Lord, as Isaiah 25, or excuse me, Isaiah um, 35, 20 talks about. Excuse me, Isaiah 30, verse 25 talks about the day of the great slaughter when all the towers fall. This is the day he's returning with a whole bunch of angels, Joel 2. And these angels are coming through and they're taking out the armies that are trying to fight them. The group that's gathered in Armageddon, they're going to be poofed into smoke, right, from the blast of fire that's coming with them which I think it's significant that this angel who is, has power over fire is the one ordering uh, or is a part of this attack that's being ordered um, to metaphorically take the wicked like grapes and put them in a wine press and crush them. Um, and then, of course, we have all the other area beyond the, the Valley of Armageddon where the other armies have more than surely already came because, remember, they're attacking Jerusalem. And they're going to have to be routed out and fought against as well. This is what Joel chapter 2 is explaining about this incredible army that no one can break ranks and it just moves through and everyone's terrified from it because it's the angels. So this is a this is not, you don't want to be in their path, that's for sure. So this is the gospel of the kingdom, guys. This is the wheat and the tares. Is the wheat is the resurrection being taken into the barn, which is the king, the literal kingdom. It's a real place where you get to live forever. Matthew 13, 
31 through 32. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. This is a smaller than all the other seeds, but when it's full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air and uh, come and nest in its branches. Well, how beautiful is this, right? We have the gospel of the kingdom. What, what, do, we, what do we see earlier, guys? What is the kingdom of heaven? It is the Garden of Eden and the New Jerusalem. It's the same as the barn. Okay? So when we see this parable, it when he says the kingdom of heaven is like, this is a simile. Yeah, it's like a metaphor and a simile. A simile, you use the word like or as to, be, to give a comparison description, is like a mustard seed. So the kingdom of heaven, that's the Garden of Eden, was a small thing like a mustard seed that was dropped down in Genesis 2 in the land of Eden. In the field, what is the field? The field is the world. So this is why, which a man took and sowed in his field. Well, of course the world is, is the creator's. He made it. So that's metaphorically his field. The kingdom is like the little mustard seed he dropped down in Genesis 2 in his field, in the world. This is why you would have this compared to the mustard seed. But what happens when it's full grown? It's larger than all the other garden plants. It becomes a tree. Well, this is what happens at the prophecy of the, of the kingdom of God. It returns as a new Jerusalem, which is 1,500 miles in and uh, squared, and then 1,500 miles tall. It's its own continent, but it wasn't like that in the beginning. When Adam was inside of it, Adam and Eve in the beginning, it wasn't like that. It was much, much smaller. We're going to go over all those verses tomorrow night because that's like an entire separate study, and I, I wanted to kind of get through this quickly. But that's that's a whole you know fifteen to twenty verses by itself, and I'll explain all that tomorrow. So join us tomorrow night as well. Matthew thirteen and thirty three, he spoke another parable to them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven." Now, you guys, if you're not familiar, leaven is something that you put in dough and it grows. Um, so he's comparing the kingdom of heaven to leaven, right? What well, what was the kingdom of heaven? It's the Garden of Eden becomes a New Jerusalem because. This is what happens when the kingdom comes. It's like leaven that you put into something and it grows to encompass all of it. So when the new Jerusalem comes, it's the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. It's, it's a small, it's, you know, metaphorically 1500 miles squared is big, but it's not the entirety of the, of the, the plane of the earth that we live on as described in scripture. So it's hidden in the pecks of flour metaphorically. And then it's going to grow to encompass all the flower. Well, that is the millennial reign, guys. That is the Father's law, his behavior, which Isaiah 2, 2 through 5, which it emanates from the kingdom that sets down at the start of the millennial reign. And all the wicked men are judged in Matthew 25, sheep and goats judgment, and they're taken out of the out of the earth, they're killed. All the righteous remain, and all the resurrected saints on the inside remain. Righteousness and peace reign from Zion and go out to all the nations that remain and repopulate near the millennial reign. That is the leaven growing. Guys, the word leaven isn't always bad. It's just a term that's used in different, different metaphors in Scripture. But it is the kingdom. That's why it says the kingdom, which is this amazing, beautiful land that's coming down. And within that kingdom is the behavior of the kingdom, which is going to be enforced on the entire earth so people stop killing each other. And that's what's the leaven that grows throughout the millennial reign and even gets to, to the second resurrection. And we see this. And Jubilees 32, 18 through 19. And he said unto them again, I'm the Lord who created the heaven and the earth, and I will increase you and multiply you exceedingly. And kings shall come forth from you, and they shall judge everywhere where the foot of the sons of men have trodden. And I will give to you 
I would give to you to your seed all the earth which is under heaven, and they shall judge all the nations according to their desires. But guys, he's talking about the first resurrection. That's the promise of the covenant that we see in Revelation 20, verse 6, and a whole bunch of other places. It's the first resurrection. Is they're the ones that are made into the priesthood with Yeshua to judge all the nations during the millennial reign. But then after the millennial reign, God goes on in talking to Jacob and he says, and after that, meaning after the millennial reign, they shall get possession of the whole earth and inherit it forever. So you guys ever wonder what happens at the millennial reign? Well, the new Jerusalem has been sitting down on the earth for a thousand years, but the rest of the earth is inherited to the righteous, to the saints of God. So you got those who the first resurrection and the second resurrection will get to finally experience all of the place where we live and inherit all of it in a perfect, peaceful environment. This is why in Matthew 5, I think it's verse uh, 4, Yeshua talks about the, the meek, those who are willing to learn the, the, the commandments of God, the meek will inherit the earth. So that's what this parable is about, the leaven. But you have to understand what the kingdom is. You see what I mean? So let's go on real quick. Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it upon the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers. But the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, will throw them into the furnace of fire, and in that place they'll be weeping a gnashing of teeth. That's the, by, by the way, that's the sheep and goats judgment that we're reading about. Okay, guys? That's the end of the age. The resurrection already happens. All the people are gathered in Matthew 25, 31. All the nations are gathered to the throne of Yeshua, and he separates the sheep from the goats and judges all of mankind. Those who are killed, they're, you know, they're they're killed. Those who remain um, will be considered the sheep to, to start repopulating during the millennial reign. So this is happening with the new Jerusalem, the kingdom on the ground. And Yeshua, who's the judge and the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, is ruling in the authority of his father. He is the one enforcing the behavior of his father from the kingdom that is now on the ground and taking the wicked men out and allowing peace to reign. So this is the gospel of the kingdom that he's explaining with the, with the idea of the angels casting out a dragnet and catching a whole bunch of different kind of fish. How beautiful is that? Matthew 13, 51 through 52. Yeshua said to his disciples, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, I, I highlighted certain things in here because I think it's awesome. Because he, what did he start off at the very beginning of this by saying the four groups? Remember the, the, the parable of the sower, which I would also uh, synonymously call the parable of the kingdom. The four groups, the first three groups, they didn't understand it. The fourth group, they understood it. And Yeshua is now looking at his disciples, who he also, he wants to be in the fourth group. He wants them all to understand it. Unfortunately, Judas... You know, Judas falls uh, prey to the third group, right? So he doesn't quite understand it. He does. It doesn't benefit and become fruit in his life because he gets choked out with the worries of the world and, and and money. So he's looking at his disciples, wanting them to get it and understand it. So he asks them, "Do you, under, do you understand all these things?" Because that was the qualifier of the fourth group. He who hears the word of the kingdom and understands it is one who's blessed hundredfold, sixty, thirtyfold. 
And that's what he wants for his disciples, obviously, because he's a good, you know, good shepherd, right? So he's therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom. Well, a scribe is someone who learns the information. And that's that's what we are. That's why he calls them a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. So even though he's looking at his personal disciples who he's teaching, he's explaining to them after he just went over all these concepts about the gospel of the kingdom of God, he's explaining to them. If you, you know, yeah, I know that you're my disciple, but if you become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, which means you're going to be knowing these things, what, and that's why he says, you're like a master of a household who brings out of his treasure. And this doesn't mean like, you know, actual treasure, like gems and gold and silver, rubies or whatever. He's talking about that word in the Greek. Actually, I put it on the screen for everybody. That word in the Greek is um, for treasury storehouse. It's Strong's 2344. And it's for a storehouse for precious things, right? So, Someone who is a disciple of the kingdom of heaven brings out of his storehouse. And this specifically in the Greek is a word that relates to the storehouse of things, of thoughts in your heart and your mind. And this is what he means by bringing things out new and old. Because when you understand the gospel of the kingdom, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to Genesis. That's the kingdom. It's old as a garden. It's going to come back as the new Jerusalem. The covenant promised to Adam was that if you do my behavior, I'll resurrect you and put you back in the garden. Well, that's the fulfillment at the return of Christ and throughout the millennial reign. So the scribe who is a disciple, someone that learns and understands the message of the kingdom of God, is like a master of his household who brings out of his thoughts, of his heart and mind, things new and old, because he understands the story from start to finish. This is what he's trying to help them understand. Guys, if you ever wondered what Yeshua is talking about around the campfire with his disciples, we're reading it. We're literally reading it. He's trying to, like, he's, they all grew up in an environment where they would have the scrolls of the prophets read to them in the synagogue, you know, but, and also the Talmud as well, I imagine, because that's why they were learning so much tradition instead of scripture. So Yeshua comes along and he's just trying to teach them straight up scripture so they understand the story and don't get confused with all this Talmudic, excuse me, the Talmudic Judaism. So he wants them to understand the story from start to finish because that's how they're going to have 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold return and be blessed. Because the good news of the kingdom is that you're going to get resurrected. As a result of the covenant, Yeshua has already exemplified that with because he's the first fruits of this type of resurrection that's promised in the covenant. He's the first one to experience it. He he showed you it's real. And then he also went to minister in the kingdom. At the very top of it, in my opinion, but he also went to minister in the Father's kingdom. And this new Jerusalem is going to be coming down to us when he returns so that he can remove all the people that are oppressing those who keep to the testament of Jesus and keep the commandments of God. All those who've fallen prey to the bad ideology and the deception of the enemy and are persecuting the saints. All those will be removed. There'll be peace on earth. The kingdom is here on the ground. And then the behavior, the lifestyle, the government of the kingdom after a thousand years will take over the entire plane of the earth, then it will truly be on earth as it is in heaven. This is why Yeshua would pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? 
that your kingdom come. That's why he would pray your kingdom come because he's literally trying to get everyone to know the gospel of the kingdom and all the component pieces of it, which there's just three main pieces, the resurrection, the literal tangible new Jerusalem that's coming down through the firmament, which requires you to know the biblical cosmology and also the promise that he will remove the wicked from the earth and peace will reign. And that takes faith that this is going to happen. It ta- like Paul talks about, this is a, the, in Romans 10, 5, this, this other faith, and also Galatians 3, 21, this faith that comes, um, this righteousness that comes by faith, the righteousness that we receive at the resurrection where his laws on our heart and we will never sin again, that comes by faith through Yeshua because he's in the position of the priesthood to grant us eternal life in that new heart at the, at the moment of his coming at the resurrection. And that takes faith that he will do that, but he's already given us a symbol that he will through his own resurrection, right? As he ministers on our behalf in the heavenly heavenly sanctuary. And that kingdom is going to come down. And on that day, there will be no more NASA, NASA enthusiasts. There will be no one ever thinking that we live on a flying rock in space, shooting in all directions. Instead, they'll realize the creator that loves them has been so close to them this whole time. And they'll never ever, they'll never be another atheist in during the millennial reign. There won't be a, a evolutionist, there won't be a heliocentrist, which means you believe in a ball earth, and there won't be an atheist during the millennial reign. They'll just be people learning about the creator that made them in this huge house called the firmament that he made them. And they're learning his behavior and walking in love with him. And this is going to be a this is the promise of the kingdom of God. So in Matthew 13, 53 through 58, Jesus had finished these parables and he departed from there. He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogues and so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? are, Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet's not without honor in his hometown in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Why are they offended at him, guys? What do they say? The first thing they say, where did this man get this wisdom? The miraculous powers, as we talked about previously, comes with him doing the commandments of God, which is the wisdom. Where did he get this? This is what we talked about in in opening and Matthew chapter one and the beginning of the series as we went over Matthew one, two, and three. Defining wisdom is keeping the commandments of God. That's what a wise man is defined as in Proverbs and Psalms. And this is what Yeshua is doing because the people around him were being taught Talmudic Judaism, guys. This is why Yeshua was telling them to repent and go back to doing the commandments of the covenant because Talmudic Judaism is not going to save them. The commandments of the covenant is the behavior. is That's the, the terms of the, of the covenant, which the Father promises. Leviticus 18.5 and Ezekiel. If you do these behaviors, I'll resurrect you. That's the promise of the covenant. So Yeshua is trying to teach them the gospel of the kingdom of God every time he says repent. Because he was dealing with a, a um, stubborn, hard-hearted, indoctrinated, and deceived people group, even in his own hometown. That's why he says to his disciples, I'm speaking to, I'm speaking to the general people in parables, but I'm, I'll explain all this stuff to you behind the scenes. So there were people that, that, that means the people that did not want to study and understand what these words meant, it's like a parable that just bounces off. They have no clue. But once, like I tried to do for you guys tonight, if you break down what do the words mean according to other scriptures, you start to see the parables make perfect sense. 
perfect sense. And we have a huge advantage in our lifetime where we have all these books collected for us in a Bible and even books that are in other people's Bibles, other nations' Bibles, other you know, uh, orthodoxies, Bibles around the world. We have all these books of scripture that we can compare and contrast and we can find the meanings of these words and these parables and then just start plugging and playing. I try to make it shorter for you tonight. I try to give you a shortcut by showing you it's the resurrection. It's the literal coming kingdom. It's also the, the wicked being removed and peace reigning on the earth. It's, it's the gospel of the kingdom, guys. And that is the central message of the Messiah and all the prophets. And when you understand those component pieces, you will start to see they're being talked about everywhere, all throughout the scriptures, every book you're reading. The writings of Paul become super simple when you understand the gospel of the kingdom of God because you know the foundational context from which he's talking about these ideas. You guys want to go have a fun with that? And you want to look at, you know, look at just for a quick example, like uh, what a lot of people struggle with, you know, one of Paul's writings as far as understanding what he's talking about. I'll pull this on screen for us real quick. We'll all look at it together. This is in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5. Check this out, guys. After everything we just explained from the gospel of the kingdom, let's read this together real quick. It says, let me make it a little bit bigger. There we go. It says, for we know that this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. That if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. He's not talking about his personal body, guys. He's talking about the, the place where we live, earth. The place where we live, the, the, our, our firmament and our realm that's called earth in Genesis 1. If this earthly tent, and it's he's describing it like a tent because the firmament is draped over us like a tent. So he's describing this place where we live as our earthly tent, he said, which is our house. If that's torn down, we have a building from God. That's the of Jerusalem. That's the kingdom of heaven. This is what Abraham talked about in uh, Hebrews 11. As Abraham looked for a building from God and from the from the architect who is God, he says, "It's not a house that's made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This house is eternal in the heavens." He says, "For indeed, this house in this house in the place where we live on earth, where we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, that's the New Jerusalem." Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Why? Because we'll be doing the commandments of God. Because to get in the new Jerusalem, you have to be resurrected, which means you're going to get the law of God in your heart. That means you'll be clothed, like we talked about. You see how this all goes together? For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. The kingdom of heaven is where we experience eternal life. Where we live here, it's mortal. Everyone's appointed to die if you're in this flesh, living in this place, right? But the kingdom of heaven is eternal. It's where you get the eternal life. Verse 5, now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. And you get a pledge as an endowment to something that you get in full totality later. So we have a this, the pledge of the spirit now, but we get an entire existence, a body and a heart filled with his spirit and with his law. At the resurrection. Guys, Paul is talking about the gospel of the kingdom of God everywhere he goes all the time. We even see it literally summarized by Luke about Paul at the end of uh, Acts 28. This is right. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not the end of Acts 28. So it says right here. I'll put it back up for you real quick. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God. 
and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. He's preaching the kingdom of God. What we just learned from Matthew 13 tonight. And of course, he's going to mention Jesus and explain Jesus' role in there because he's the king of the kingdom, right? He's the one, he's our high priest of the kingdom. He's the one who brings us into the kingdom. He's the firstborn of many brethren, Romans 8, 29. He's, he's the one that helps us fulfill the covenant. So all the prophets, John the Baptist, Yeshua of Nazareth, his disciples, Paul, everyone in the New Testament, everyone in the whole book in the Bible, Testament of Levi, all the patriarchs, if you go back and read the Testament of 12 patriarchs, all the sons of Jacob, Enoch, first Enoch, Jubil whole book of Jubilees between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, after all of them, guys, they're all talking about the kingdom of God. This is our, our beautiful message that when we understand it, it breaks through the deception. It is the message that the enemy wants to squash. It's the message that Yeshua was preaching everywhere he went, and everyone was believing him and loving it. Why? Guys, put in the comments if you can. Why was everyone... For anyone that's that's uh that's still listening right now, put in the comments. When Yeshua is walking around, teaching in, in Galilee and Judea and, and Jerusalem and everywhere he is, and he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Why do you think it was easy for them to receive it with joy and to be glad and want to follow him everywhere he goes and realize he's the Messiah, which is the king of the kingdom, which is what's prophesied in Psalm 2 and Enoch 48 and all these other places in scripture, Isaiah 53. Why do you think it was so easy for them to understand that? In their day, just put. I'm, I have I have an answer. You may have a better one, but I have an answer for you. Um, and I just want to see what people have to say. All right. I don't know if anyone's in the comments that are. It's no wrong answers, guys. I just, like I said, I have my take on why the people of his day would have received this message with with like joy and just, you know. All right, Messenger of the Most High is saying they had strayed far from sound doctrine. Yes, I mean, technically, yes, you're right. They did stray far from sound doctrine. This is why he's constantly telling them to repent and he's trying to teach them sound doctrine. Um, Helen asked the saying, Enoch told them about the new Jay, the new Jerusalem. Yes, he did. You think so? You're basically saying that they had familiarity with the text of Enoch, and so therefore they understood the message of Yeshua. That's a great. That's a great speculation. That could be it too. Um, Josh Bassick is saying they were seeking the Messiah. Okay, so you're talking about the heart of the people listening. They were looking for Messiah, so he claims to be talking about the, that I, he is the Messiah. He's proven it with miracles, and then he's talking about the kingdom. So they therefore they just believe the message as well as his actions. Very possible. Yeah, that there there all these answers could be jointly correct. Um, but I'm going to give you my idea of why it was so easy for them to understand the message he was talking about. And they received it with joy so quickly and went following him all over the place to the point where the Pharisees were like, we got to stop this or everyone's going to believe in him. Um, James Carter saying they had access to scriptures. That's the big debate. How much did they have access to? Because they, it wasn't like today where everyone had their own little Bible. They had to go to the synagogue on Sabbath and, and wait for the Pharisees to read. And then, of course, what are the Pharisees reading? Are they doing selective readings? Are they? So I, you know, that is the big, uh, that is the big debate. Like, how much access did they have?
All right. So I'm just going to go ahead and put mine, guys. Um, the reason why, in my opinion, and I like a lot of these answers too, by the way, but the reason, in my opinion, why it was so easy for them, all these, the things that I explained to you tonight, the component pieces of the gospel, the kingdom of God, let me, let me actually put them on screen real quick. This, as I talk about this, just think about this for a second. You're in the days of 2000 years ago, Jesus walked around talking about explaining these concepts and telling people, hey, start doing the behavior of the kingdom, which is, you know, the commandments, because that's part of the covenant. That was the promise to you as Israel and anyone who comes in faith and belief grafted in. This is the this is the the description of the covenant is that you do these behaviors and God's promising that he'll give you eternal life. And that's why he's telling people to repent. And where do you get to spend that eternal life? Enoch, Moses, Jubilees, um, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all of them told you where you get to spend the new, the uh, eternal life. It's in Zion. It's in the return of the Garden of Eden. It's in the mountain of the Lord. It's in the kingdom of heaven, which is and always was the Garden of Eden, and then comes back as a new Jerusalem. Why would it be so easy for them to believe this, guys? Think about what you're listening to today. Today, if you heard that message, you have scientists telling you that resurrection is impossible. You have $20 billion a year going to government agencies to try to tell you that you live outside of what God described his creation as. They, tried to, they literally have told you you live in the opposite of God's creation. So they, the, the father said that you lived in an enclosed space that's called the plane of the earth. And then above you is a firmament. It's like a roof over you. And then there's multiple layers of firmament above that. But since you were a child in our generation, you've been grown up taught that you live on a ball and you're held down by gravity. And so is the air that you breathe. But if you get to a certain height, suddenly that air is no more. And then it's just a vastness of nothingness in space. And that you're so far away from any other planetary body. And this is bat vast nothingness. And we have no clue where the actual location of the creator is, if he even exists, because they mostly teach that you weren't created. You exploded from nothingness. And then you accidentally became the person you are today to even question this. And that there's nothing for you later. There is no resurrection for you because you're just more likely going to experience a heat death in 200,000 years from the sun going supernova. Oh, and then there'll be the, the eternal, the uh, celestial uh, retraction, which everything will go back into a point of density before it explodes all over again in billions and billions of years. This is the lie that's told to you, which is the exact opposite of what the father, the creator has told to you in his word. He said that he created a special place for you. That you're born in this special place and that you can only live here because you're protected here. And that actually, if you just do his behavior the best you can, you don't even have to be perfect at it. He's going to give you eternal life and he's actually going to bring his house down to here instead of him living up there. And he's going to actually be down here and you can live with him in his house here and still this in this place where he made for you. That whole description of what I just said is just makes people's mind tilt. They can't even process the descriptions of it because they've been taught something else their whole life. Then they have not been taught the actual scriptures, the actual word of the kingdom. They've been taught the, the opposite of the word of the kingdom 
intentionally so that you'll never understand the word of the kingdom. That's the goal of the enemy. Does that make sense? Does that hopefully ring true with anyone? That's That would be, yes, that's right, James Carter. Fundamentalists unite. Yeah, if you understand the firmament and the whole description of the creation model, understand the gospel of the kingdom becomes very easy. If you understand the resurrection, very easy. If you understand, you know, the promise of the day of the Lord. You guys, you realize when we did started this channel, first two videos are about the gospel of the kingdom. I touched on all these concepts. But that was a brief overview. Second two videos I did was about the resurrection, the first resurrection event. That was to help people understand and kind of get into understanding the gospel of the kingdom on a deeper level. This is why they're all in my new beginners playlist here on my channel. Then a few months later, Ken and I, Ken Heiderbrecht and I, we started doing an entire series called The Road to Rescue. We did it on a buddy's channel. We had 20 episodes where we discussed the day of the Lord, which is the gospel of the kingdom. We discussed it from every angle. We even talked about the millennial reign, Leviathan behemoth, survivors. We discussed it from every angle. This is the, 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 the bulk of the law and the prophets, guys, is the gospel of the kingdom. And if you, if you don't understand the promises of you getting eternal life, you getting his behavior put in your heart, you getting to live in his house with him, and that house is going to come down through the sky, through the firmament above you, and touch down on the ground. And that the day of the Lord is him preparing the land for his house to sit down, and the enemy tries to get there first to stop it from happening, so he has to destroy them. And then the remnants of those enemies are brought before him. They're judged and taken off the earth, destroyed, so that the only people that remain are those who will enjoy his rule, his government, his peace, because he's the Prince of Peace. It's hard to understand any of that story if you if you think you live on a rock flying through space, because because all the, it's all contra, it's all contradictory information. This is why you know we lovingly try to <laughs> try to share that you know that we don't we don't harp on it like all the time like yeah I I'm. I jokingly call myself a fundamentalist because I think it's so important to understand the definitions of the words and how the, the creation model is explained. But this story is not possible in Scripture. Like anyone that has that takes honest reading comprehension to the Bible, the gospel of the kingdom is not possible if you believe you live on a ball in space. You have to. And so in the ancient world, during the days of Yeshua, they already believed that the gods lived above them. The Greeks, they believed in Mount Olympus. They believed in the home of the gods above. They believed in Elysium. They believed in the firmament. The, the Egyptians called it Newt. It's the firmament of water that covered over the earth. They believed in a biblical creation model-esque, right? They didn't think they were on a ball in space. Modern scientists are lying to you when they tell you, oh, we've known the, we've known it's a ball since Pythagoras or what do they say? Uh, what's that guy's name? Not not just Pythagoras, but um, the guy with the sticks. Guys, put it in the comments. Uh, the guy with the sticks in the shadows. I can't remember his name right now. Um, but they'll say that, yeah, this guy did this. That we've known for since 300, 300 uh, BC that we live on a ball in space. They'll try to tell you that, right? Yet, meanwhile, all the ancient cultures have literal depictions hieroglyphs showing of an enclosed cosmology because they knew they didn't live on a ball in space. They knew that, that what they believed were the gods had created an enclosed cosmology. They believed in pantheism, which is multiple gods. We, of course, believe in the almighty, the creator, which is you know just one God, he and his father and son. 
but yeah, Eratosthenes. I, I, Eratosthenes. Eratosthenes. That's his name, guy. Eratosthenes, the guy with supposed guy with sticks and shadows. That's if you believe their narrative, right? So, and that can be done if the sun is closer to you, which is exactly what the biblical cosmology um, exemplifies. So that experiment is easily done if you just change the parameters of the sun being in the biblical model, like it's described. Um, so. This, so if Yeshua is going and explaining these concepts to them with them having to understand the biblical cosmology, and he's he literally exemplified resurrection to them with Lazarus, with little the centurion's little girl, with other people. So he's already given them huge component pieces of the gospel, the kingdom of God, explain it to them in a concrete way that they understood and they received a joy and wanted to follow him and shout Hosanna at him. But yet here we are, so far removed. We don't even think that resurrection is real because we think that there's nothing after this. We've been told by evolutionists, which is like the most depressing cult that ever plagued mankind, that are just morbid um, sadists that like to preach that there's nothing for you, that you should be depressed, isolated, and die. This is this is what they're – there's no resurrection is what they would claim, right? And they would also claim that you, you live on a ball in space, so therefore there's no way that – He's literally going to bring a, a continent through space and come to the earth. What's well, because the creation model is not a ball in space. It's because the word of, of the father and the son, right guys, for all those of you who still struggle with the indoctrination, you've been told your whole life with this idea of living on a ball in space. Your Messiah didn't believe that your Messiah taught differently. And this is why I lovingly just remind people it's, it's our job to just to study Stewardly, like Yeshua talks about, the scribe of the kingdom of God, that's, that's someone who studies and learns these ideas, it still takes you accepting what the definitions of the words mean. So therefore, it takes that sense of humility to get over the lies that you've been told and say, you know what, in spite of the persecution of the world, and because the word of the kingdom will face persecution, the persecution comes in the form of you're silly that you believe Jesus was resurrected. Do you guys know that's one of the main topics that atheists debate Christians over? And then the other form of pers persecution comes when they say you're you're retarded, you're dumb, you're ignorant, you're you're the, you're not worth living if you believe in this idea of an enclosed cosmology because everyone knows that we're we live on a, on a ball earth. So the persecution comes against this message. We have to be brave enough to believe the plainly written words of our Father. Because when we do, the story makes perfect sense and we can understand the whole thing. So I just pray that everyone is brave enough to be in the fourth category tonight. If y'all have any questions, go ahead and drop them in the chat and I'll get to them. Thanks for allowing me to ramble tonight. This is a message that um, it's just it's heavy on my heart. I just want everybody to know it because, you know, I never claim to know it all, but I do claim to understand the Bible. And I know people hate it when I say that. People just knee-jerk and probably break their TV screen when I say that. But that's the lies that you've been told, is that you could never understand the Bible. That's a lie, guys. It's simple. You can understand the Bible. You can. It's possible. That's why he wrote it down and told it to us. Not so that we can wander around saying, oh, we'll never understand it. No, those are people that are defeatists that 
lack faith and refuse to actually take the definitions of the words that are given to them in scriptures. So therefore they just, I don't have an answer. So I'm just going to tell everybody, well, don't, don't stress your, your, your thoughts too much. I mean, we'll never understand it. I'm like, no, no, that's a complete lie. I reject that. Satan get behind me because I, <laughs> that's not correct. He, he said things over and over and over again through the prophets so that we would understand it. That's the point of him doing that. That's the point of the prophets dying to get the message to us, including his son. So to me, I get, I guess I get kind of hot when I hear, when I hear people tell me like, oh, we'll never understand it. Don't worry about it. You can't claim to know it all. How arrogant could you possibly be? I'm like, you know what? It's not about knowing it all, but it's definitely about knowing it, about knowing the message. And, and I just want to encourage everyone watching, you, you can know this message. It's not impossible. It's not too hard. You, you, everyone has the, the faculties. A child can know it. You just have to believe what's said, what is spoken in the word. Because the words define themselves. The context is all there. It's all congruent, very consistent. You just have to believe it. So that's my prayer for everyone tonight, that you just believe it. <laughs> that sounds so simple, right? Um, Nathan Lyons is asking, can you still enter the kingdom without water baptism? Oh, sure, brother. I mean, you remember water baptism. Did you see, I don't know if you saw part one of this series where I go over Matthew 1 through 3. We, we recover the idea of baptism, both in the old and in the New Testament, first century AD. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's not something that is, it's a sign of the covenant. It's not entryway into covenant. So Yeshua is the one that evaluates your heart, your mind, your life, right? He's the one that determines whether or not you get resurrection. Um, and if there's people that have come to, to belief in him and never had a chance to get water baptized or were under bad doctrine and never, never had a chance to do an outward showing of them wanting to be in covenant with the father and the son. Um, I don't think he's going to hold it against them. He knows everyone is subjected to all kinds of various bad deceptive doctrines. So I, I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to hold anyone back for that. So be encouraged brother. But we always just encourage someone to get baptized for the sake of uh, it's an outward showing, just like, you know, circumcision is commanded. Uh, baptism was, was commit. Go, go watch that uh, part one brother. Cause I go over it in depth and I, I'm, I'm not going to, if I repeat it, it'll take too long tonight, but I explain it in depth in that, that episode, um, Matthew 1 through 3, New, Con New Testament Context for Pastors. I did it like two, three weeks ago. I think it'll bless you. I, th I think it will. Um, Sky the Dome Watcher is asking, they want to ask, what do you think a shooting star is since we have lived in a closed system? Actually, um, I actually am that I answered that in my Q&A last week. So go check it out. It's just sulfur deposits. They reignite upon reentry from air friction because they're they're full of sulfur and brimstone. Um, it just comes from volcanic explosions and emulsions. So go check that out. I did, and in fact, I'm even I even took a snippet of that answer because someone else asked that, and I'm uploading it to Kingdom Cast, and I think it's uh, going to be airing on the seventh. But um, but yeah, the Q and A that I did last week, I answered that one as well. So I, I gave you the summary just now, uh, but I go into greater depth. So if you want to go check that out. So, oh yeah, Miss Catherine, uh, good. Uh, hopefully that, <laughs> hopefully it, it should be a joyful message. <laughs> it should be. And I agree with you, Miss Marsha, you're right. It just makes more sense it, in every possible way. And the science is actually there, true science, not just believing what someone says who try to intimidate you to believe it. But actual people that are going out and testing this stuff as they have been for the last seven or eight years, they're finding out that we've been lied to a lot. 
And that's um, because they're trying to hide God. They're trying to hide the gospel of the kingdom, guys. They don't want you to believe this stuff. They don't want you to understand this stuff, much less believe it. You know, when I'm, people are always asking me about scripture, many often I'll tell, them, I'll tell them, I'm like, look, guys, whether you believe it or not, that's a totally different conversation. I just want to make sure you understand what the book actually says. And then you have an actual good ground to know whether you choose to accept it or reject it. Because every atheist and agnostic and jaded unbeliever who used to be a believer, who maybe was raised in a church setting and then you know went away from God later in their life, every one of those people in those categories, when I actually sit down and talk to them throughout my entire life, they don't even know what the Bible says. They think they know. They have some snippet, some, some idea of some passage or some concept, but it's way out of context. And it's, it's very poorly remembered, if I could put it like that and be nice about it. And then I explain to them the actual scriptures, the actual story. And I'm like, look, man, look, look, whether you believe God is real and that he loves you and that he sent his son for you, whether you believe that or not, that's between you and him. I can't make you believe that. I just want to make sure you understand what you're rejecting. Because from the words you just told me, you don't understand what you're rejecting. You, you're misunderstood. So let me try to explain with clarity what the actual story is. And then you have a better chance of either believing it or rejecting it. Then you can at least be informed and believe it or disbelieve it. So that's, I don't know, that's kind of the way I, I take it. Keener Truth is asking about uh, Jael. He comes from the Apocalypse of Abraham. The book is an angel listed in there who says he's the restrainer that holds back Leviathan. And no, he's an angel. He's not uh, the Holy Spirit. So that's if you if you if that's what you're asking about in agreement, then I'm in agreement with you. Yes, that Jael is an actual angel, and uh, he just like Fenuel and Michael and Gabriel and you know Uriel, they're actual angels. They have jobs, and um, and he specifically. It has, among his jobs, he has uh, the one of holding back Leviathan, and he's he's not the Holy Spirit. He's just an angel. Uh, Mr. Bear is asking, Zechariah, 7, 4, Zechariah 14, 17, is it related to the thousand-year reign? Yeah, I, th I think that's the passage um, I think that you're referring to. One second. Let me pull it up on screen for everyone to, to follow along with this. Okay, brother. This is Zechariah 14, 17 is when um, the nations of the earth, or the, the survivors, I should say, of the earth, after the day of the Lord, they have to go up and they have to worship for Sukkot. Here it is. Yeah, well, it's, let's start in 16. But yeah, it'll come about. Any who are left of the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it'll be that whichever the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. Yeah, this is all going out through the lineal reign. Guys, speaking of, as a tangent idea here, guys, just to show you how good the father is, you know how in his law he has all these other places about like Deuteronomy 15 and Deuteronomy 22, like all these different places where he talks about taking care of the widow and the orphan, the fatherless, the poor. And in James 1, he says, pure and undefiled religion that you take care of the poor and the, uh, or excuse me, take care of the widow and the fatherless or the orphan and keep yourself unpolluted from the world. That's Torah, by the way. It's just James repeating Torah in James chapter one. But that's what we're that's what we'll see throughout the entire millennial reign. That's why the New Jerusalem comes down at the beginning of the later reign as well, is because it has free food, water, medicine for all the survivors. As we're reading here in verse 16 of Zechariah 14, all of those who are left of the nations who went against Jerusalem. So that means all the men came to fight, all the women and children are still surviving. 
And that's why pure and undefiled religion are those who take care of the widows and the orphans. The Father's law is built to flourish during the millennial reign. And he's going to be taking care of families that came to fight him, or at least their surviving members. How merciful is that? It doesn't get more merciful than that. You guys realize in ancient customs and ancient cultures, like a king comes in and he takes out the army. And then many times they would go in and just kill all the women and children and burn the land and burn the cities and all the livestock. Like they would, they would utterly decimate an entire people group. But our righteous king, he's going to come in and everyone who fights him is going to be decimated. But all the survivors, he's going to feed, clothe, and, and give shelter and give medicine to. And he's going to do Torah. He's going to practice mercy and love and justice all in the same breath. It, we, have a, we have an amazing king, guys. Oh, you're welcome, Nathan. Hopefully it was a decent answer for you. The Great Deception is asking. I saw a blue meteorite in 95 in Bakersfield, California. Slowly went by me early in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how uh, sulfur and brimstone looks when it's burning. It looks like it's blue. Uh, Scott McVicker is asking, with all the hidden truth in the movies, how do they know the truth and still deny? Well, because they're in a pact for one. It's a, it's why it's called a death cult. It's a you know Luciferian satanic pact um, because you know not just them but their family will suffer repercussions. Um, but they're also in deception, brother. You know, there's people that have tried to pull out that have the father has got to them and and brought them to a place of repentance in their mind and in their actions they try to pull away and be whistleblowers about these things and there's select cases over the last 40 years and those people were either instituted in the mental asylums or they were killed because it's it's a death cult that's these are people that um following the wrong person all right obadaniya silva is asking what's the best First and 66 book of Canada prove the flat. Oh, brother, have you seen my playlist? There's not just one, there's over 500. Uh, in context, it describes a beautiful place. Like, um, go check out, um, man, there's so many. And, but let's go over the basics. Is if you're, if this, if you've never uh, seen the 400 plus in the Old Testament, or um, then I would say, let's just go over the basics. And uh, let me go to this video real quick and I'll drop the link in the chat for you. And it's off my playlist, The Creation. So I have an entire playlist called Hashtag The Creation. And in there, you can actually see a video called uh, What You Need to Know About Heaven. Let's see if I can find it real quick, guys. There it is. And I'm going to drop this link in the chat for you. because i actually define all the words for you so once you have these definitions of words in my opinion you should never believe you live on a ball again because the father explains in great detail how he created something very different than where you live and it's wonderfully made you know so i just dropped that in the chat for you it's called what you need to know about heaven and um because the word heaven does mean firmament and i have the link there for you as well also yeah david Shearer dropped uh, dropped something just now. He's saying, um, this is an interview I did. You go check this out as well. If you want an hour and a half of me talking scriptures and science about where we live, it's my interview with the Debris and Dialogues. Go check that out.
Josh Pasek is asking about Purim. Do I keep it? Should we? I don't keep it. No. Um, as I personally don't keep it. I know a lot of people like to keep it, but it's become something very different than what it is in the book of Esther. It's become more like Jewish Halloween. You know, it's, it's very different, but um, if you're, if you want to keep it as a memorial, you know, you're welcome to just probably have a meal. There's no sacrifices required or anything like that. It's just a meal of observance probably to celebrate. Hey, you know, or I, I think what's, what's interesting about it is that they're actually practicing Torah as they're trying to do Purim in the book of Esther, because they're actually sending food to people that are dispersed and in need, which is Torah, um, which is Deuteronomy 15. And so I think that that's beautiful, but you know, maybe, you know, maybe if you want to develop your own custom and practice to do that, you're welcome to do that. But uh, we're already commanded to do that. And Purim is not something that is commanded as an actual command. It's just a tradition they created. It wasn't like a thus say it the Lord kind of thing. So that's why I don't personally keep it. And the actual custom of having a celebratory meal in honor, I, I have all these other feasts I keep for the for the Lord for that, as well as their act of giving food to others who are in need. Well, we we do that anyway with other things that because the Torah commands it anyway. So that's um but you're welcome to keep it if you like, brother. It's I don't think there's any harm in it. Just I would keep it as close as how Esther kept it as possible. Uh, Mr. Bear, yes, it's it's part of this series that you're watching. So this we're this is new con new past excuse me, New Testament context for pastors is the series you're watching here. Um, as far as for this podcast, I'm doing a short series over Matthew. So go back to part one, which is Matthew one through three. I covered chapter thirteen tonight, but I covered the first three chapters several weeks ago. And I go over baptism in that in that part. Okay, brother. Uh, Boyhead is asking, do you a good way that I can talk to my mom about God and how to get her to be more of a Christian? Do you have a good way? I'm guessing we'll try to have a good way, probably. Um, no, I apologize, brother. Not, not a good way to talk to her. Um, all I could say is to love her, to forgive her. I know that many of us have rough relationships with our parents and the the best way that you could talk to her is with love and with forgiveness, even when she makes you mad, <laughs> you know, even when she's being ornery or she's not being logical or, you know what I mean? Or she's being straight up hurtful or mean. Um, I would, I would, uh, you know, I'm not saying that she is. I'm just saying like, I know everyone's family's different. There's a lot of sometimes some strains strained, uh, relationships. So the best way I would say is just show her love. Um, uh, make sure you're walking in forgiveness in your heart towards any hurt that she may have caused you in the past. Um, and then do your best to know the scriptures so that you walk them in your life. And if she is a Christian, more than likely she, she'll want to talk with you about them at some point. Right. Um, just share with her in a positive way as far as like what the father's doing for you or maybe what you've learned recently, but I wouldn't try to preach to her or be, um, or try to set her down and tell her you need to, you know, you need to know this or that because sometimes people just don't respond very well like that. Uh, Nick McPherson, I, <laughs> great question. Can't answer it tonight, brother. I'm doing a, um, I'm actually, it's going to be a part of a series that I'm, I'm going to be doing for the future. So I can't, um, there's, I can't, I can't tell you tonight that, but the good news is it's such a minor detail 
It doesn't affect anything I've said tonight. It doesn't, doesn't negate anything that I've ever said at any point to the, at any point in any of my videos up to now, nor in any one in the future, but it's a fun little detail that once I explain it in conjunction with everything else, it'll, it'll make a lot of sense for you, but please be patient. And I'll get to that in the future, in future videos. Okay, I missed one from Tiago Montiel. He's asking, angels are constantly in warfare with demons in high places, but do angels ever kill demons? Can an angel be killed by any? If so, where do they go? Uh, that's a great question. I don't really know. I don't, I've always wondered how that works in the spirit, you know, when these, especially with unclean spirits versus clean spirits, which are angels. Um, and I know that angels are made of water, like we're made of dirt, you know what I mean? But... I don't exactly know what unclean spirits are made of because they're very different. They um, they seem to move outside of the flesh, obviously. Like a, that's why they're called spirits. Uh, they seem to move like angels because they kind of come and go, can disappear or manifest. But they usually manifest, you know, like in a darkness. It's not like a, an angel of light. But when they actually fight, I don't know what exactly how they're injured. But I do know in the Book of Enoch, uh, I think it's chapter fifty-two. Uh, 54 it talks about these great chains that are made that on the day of the lord they're going to actually bind up the uh those who have subjected themselves to satan which which are the unclean spirits so and satan himself is a spiritual being and he's wrapped in a great chain also in enoch 54 and in revelation 20 verse 1 through 3 and he's actually restrained so Basically, whatever it is in their world that they have and their in their existence, their reality, it's like I said before, it's a it's another reality. It's real. They eat food. They drink water. They drink wine. They have they participate in the feast in heaven. They have jobs. They have houses. Um, that like that. It's a real existence above the firmament where they live. It's just not the same because everything down here seems to be made of soil. And up there, it's a little different. It's like things are the the beans are made of water, but at the same time, they have these chains that are being prepared in heaven for Satan and his his cohorts, and it actually can wrap them up. So in that regard, there is something that can affect their bodies. I, I just couldn't explain the physics to you or the chemistry to you. I apologize. So. Yeah, thanks, Bobby Mo. Yeah, we, we've hit a thousand subscribers on Kingdom Cast, and so we're hopefully we're uh, still multicasting over there. I can't check it for my broadcast studio right here, but I'll check it when it's done. All right, guys, I'll take maybe one or two more questions and we'll, we'll jump off for tonight. Uh, but Tiago, the, the souls of demons are already without a body. That's why they are. That's why they're called unclean spirits. Uh, go check out, um, man, I talked about this in so many different videos. Uh, go check out, uh, why did God create hell? Go check out uh, five good questions about Satan. All these podcasts I've done in the last two, three weeks. And I go over the scriptures in First Enoch 15 and also Jubilees chapter 10 that explains where demons actually came from. And they already lost their bodies and their souls are wrapped up in this unclean spirit type of body that's outside of the flesh. And, um, and so I, they, they are uh, nine-tenths of them, 90% of them were, were uh, bound to the uh, Sheol where the souls of men go as well, but in a different compartment, as far as I understand. And then a 10th of them were left out upon the earth to be subject to Satan. So this is, that's where their souls would go. 
and then but some of them remained on the earth which is why they still mess with people today we still gotta uh take authority over them in our lives annie i've done two whole shows on this sister if you will go to my milk and meat playlist and um i let me see if i can pull it up real quick we did two whole broadcasts on the bodies of angels to explain them them and their purpose and it's in our milk and meat playlist so go to the playlists on my channel and i'm gonna try to drop the part one of the series link in the chat for you real quick and it says why um how the angels live forever is part two i'll go ahead and drop that in the chat for you because i go over it in great depth with my wife and we explain all the scriptures about it you know adam was made of dirt and the spirit of god well angels are made of water and the spirit of god so you're welcome to pick that up. put it in the chat for you just now okay All right. Thanks. Okay, guys. Let's see if I can see some other questions that I missed further up. Otherwise, uh, appreciate it. We've already come up to our time tonight. Hopefully, this has been a good, a good broadcast for you. Hopefully tonight's information will make reading scriptures and the parables of Jesus much easier for you. That's my goal, because if you just know what these words mean and what he's talking about. All right. Great, great question to end on. Katrina Brown is asking, can you still enter into the kingdom if you're a Christian, but do not keep the commandments because of being lied to? Well, sister, I have good news for you. Christians do keep the commandments. So think about this. When you came to your faith in Yeshua, you may not have called him Yeshua. You may call him Jesus, right? You came to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, many of us in the United States, we had like an altar call moment, right? So you're at, at like a church camp or you're at Sunday school or you're at some kind of revival night or something. And there's a there's a persuasive, charismatic speaker. And they're like, you know, come forward and give your, give your heart to Jesus Christ. Um, everyone bow your head and close your eyes. And if you want to come get forward and give your life to Jesus Christ, raise your hand and come up and up here and like, and everyone's, peeking out the side of their eyes, right? And trying to look a lot of, a lot of believers in America went through an experience very similar to something like that, where they, they would give their heart to Jesus Christ in a moment of getting saved. And I'm doing these air quotes. I'm not trying to be annoying, but this, that's this, these bumper sticker terminology that is used so often. And as a result of that, in most 99.9% .9 of all these churches where that happens, the expectation is you're going to change your behavior. The expectation is the behavior that you were doing was not like Jesus and was not what the what God would be happy with. So therefore, you are repenting, you're changing your behavior, and you come forward, you say a prayer, and you ask God to come in your life. And many many people have a dramatic change in behavior. Some people it takes a lot more time; it's their learning curve is is takes a little longer. Um, I was one of those, but other people that's like night and day, right? They take a dramatic night and day change in behavior, and then suddenly they're trying to be like Jesus as best they can. They're not told the terminology of keeping the Torah or the Feast of God or the dietary laws or any of those things that still apply to them because they're, like you said, they're, they're not being lied to specifically with malice, but what they're being told is inaccurate information and it's a deceptive teaching that's been passed down generationally through different denominations is this idea that the law of God is done away with, yet 
that terminology that's being spoken is contradictory in itself because the same pastor that tells you the law of God is done away with, now you just walk in Jesus Christ, will also tell you that it's not good to kill people, that it's not good to cheat on your spouse, that it's not good to steal from people, that it's not good to lie to people, that it's you can only serve the Lord your God only, right? And no other idols. You can't serve any other gods. They'll also tell you don't take the Lord's name in vain whatever arbitrary interpretation they have of that they'll also they'll also tell you you can't kidnap people that you can't steal your your neighbor's animals that you see what i mean they'll tell you all the law of god they'll tell you homosexuality is wrong they'll tell you incest is wrong they'll tell you bestiality is wrong they'll tell you abortion is wrong they'll tell you the law of god <laughs> emphatically they just don't call it that and like they'll they'll encourage you to do the behavior of the law of god as long as you go to that church and that's what they think is you being a good Christian, but they just don't use the terminology of the Torah or the commandments very often. In fact, some of them do. They just say it's the Ten Commandments minus the fourth, so technically the nine commandments. Um, because yeah, there's deception out there. People are confused. There's some there's some bad doctrine and some some mixing that's come in, and that's uh, got people confused. But there's been a big awakening in the last you know what twenty years of people waking up all across the United States realizing that wait a minute, this you're, you're just describing the law of God. Like, what are you talking about the law is done away with? You're trying to tell me that homosexuality is okay now? Of course, No, are you trying to tell me that bestiality is okay now? Like, what, what are you trying to say here? Like, you're trying to tell me the law, I don't, the law of God doesn't apply to me anymore? So what, I can worship other gods now? Is that, how, is that what you define as being a Christian? Of course not. Of course not. They're, it's, it's what I've said before. It's, they've been taught, in seminaries, a theology of terminology. They've been taught these words bad, these words good. The behavior is the same for the most part, right? Minus, you know, like I say 85% same behavior because they're still teaching all the things that I mentioned, right? Don't kill, don't kill, don't, don't, don't covet, don't worship other gods. They're still honor your father, mother. They're still teaching you the law of God. They just say, oh, you can now eat pig and you can, oh, you don't have to do the feast of God anymore. Like they think that's just for the Jew. There's just bad teaching. It's part of uh, a dispensational supersessionism doctrine that crept in about 120 years ago in the seminaries. But their Christians are still keeping the law of God every day of their life. That's, they think that that's what being like Jesus is doing. They just don't call it that terminology. So this is where we pray for people to come into a fuller understanding of sound doctrine. And we show them by our example love if we're a mature disciple and we're walking in that fuller understanding it's our job to teach others how to do that well sorry guys i'm losing it i'm losing the voice tonight so we'll cut it off here but hopefully that that's helpful to you katrina Thank you for joining me, and uh, we hope to see you guys here tomorrow night. We're going over um, still the gospel of the kingdom, but we'll be talking about the Garden of Eden and how it becomes the New Jerusalem. So thank you for joining me, everyone, tonight, and we'll see you tomorrow night.